the station with more hair, more flair, yet so debonair. Radioinfluence.com You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, Friday. Friday, 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 Friday. In the last week of August, that's exactly where we are. Um, And I am so goddamn excited this morning. It's amazing. I just have this amazing fire inside of me today uh, that I, I don't know what it is. I woke up. I popped out of bed. I was super excited to get up today. Not that I'm not always, but today was just kind of a different vibe, man. You know, I got up, ran downstairs, got the cool puppy. Y'all know I got a puppy, right? Her name is Honey. She is a pit bull bulldog mix, and she's awesome. Uh, Oddly enough, I got her at a rescue. Uh, My daughter's best friend I mentioned before was fostering the dog. Uh, We fell in love with her. Boom, boom, boom. Now I own a dog. She's like a vampire. She eats my goddamn feet all day and my hands. She actually pierced my ear the other night. I do not wear earrings, but I now have a hole there so that I can. Uh, I did wear earrings years ago when I was a small child. My father called me Brianna and said to me, I always wanted another daughter. I laughed. Uh, again, that was like the, the, the 80s. Like, parent, you were allowed to say stuff like that. You could say that stuff in jest, but now you can't. Like... Today, I read that uh, there is a discrimination complaint that was filed against owner Jack Phillips for refusing to buy a cake, uh, to bake a cake for a transgender customer. Okay. Yes. Uh, This is the same guy who refused to make the cake for the gay wedding. Uh, To me, seems like, uh, look, I get it. I know the world that we live in. I understand every part of it. I'm 100% on board. I respect everybody. I respect every person. I get that. I don't give a shit what color you are. I don't care who you have sex with. I don't care who you worship. If you're nice to people, then we're good. This guy, whatever, whatever. Let him be an asshole. He doesn't want to bake a cake for somebody. He doesn't want doesn't doesn't to make some money off of somebody else. I get every part of that. But if you automatically know that there was already an issue with this guy, why would you then go and ask him to make a cake knowing that there, there's the possibility of some form of backlash or confrontation? You're just asking for trouble. If you, don't, if you know the guy automatically said he wouldn't do it for somebody and then the the state went through it there were lawsuits and all the other stuff why would you go after him again just to prove a point i'm on neither side i i don't care about the chef who is the baker i don't care about the 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 transgender gentleman woman who is going to uh, celebrate her anniversary more power congratulations i'm glad that you felt comfortable in that in that situation and to do that i think that's a tremendous tremendous step that you took to for for the comfort of your own being and everything that goes with that but why would you go to a place knowing that there was already an issue with this gentleman unless it was solely for the fact 
that you want confrontation, you want uh, publicity, you want press, whatever it is. I don't get it. To me, I try to stay away from confrontation because I like really happy people and I like the positive world that I live in. And I'm going to stop talking about this right now because it just made me a little bit angry. But what we are going to talk about is the power of the mind. Okay, we're going to talk about willpower. We're going to talk about determination. We're going to talk about drive. We're going to talk about about things like mind over matter. You know, we we all hear about it. You, you hear about the car that starts to roll backwards, and there's a child behind the car, and the guy jumps up and pushes that car forward, lurches forward and, and holds that car in place because of the superhuman power that, that, that happens with that. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Because I met a dude a couple years ago. Uh, I, I was at an event uh, for, some, for, some, for some wonderful, wonderful people, um, an amazing family out of Annapolis, Maryland, um, who have become friends uh, closer than 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 they were before, in my opinion. And these are friends of mine who actually I met through my ex-girlfriend, um, who I was with for quite a while. And sh- they went to her and, and my buddy's wife went to college together. And uh, her and her boyfriend were together for years. Um, and she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis multiple years ago. And... Uh, uh, my understanding of the situation was said to her parents some uh, 39 years ago, uh, take her home and enjoy her. In, in a rawest, most kind of straightforward point, that's more or less what they said. So at this point, I believe Jen is 39 or 40 years old now. She, uh, she has twin girls. Uh, her and her husband um, have been together since like middle school or something. It's an amazing love story. And I was, was lucky enough to go down there and be a part of one of the charity events or one of the fu- the fundraising events that they do for cystic fibrosis. Now, Jen's mother and father are unbelievably supportive people, just wonderful, wonderful people, so welcoming to everybody else out there. And while I was there, I was introduced. This is the longest, most roundabout way to introduce me, somebody to you guys. But while I was down there, I met this dude. Okay, and Adam, uh, Adam is the kind of guy uh, that you immediately kind of kind of react to. You immediately are kind of drawn to him with this magnetic personality. So uh, the gentleman's name is Adam Keys, and uh, Adam was in a wheelchair when I had met him, and he came over and he shook my hand uh, uh, with uh, with with this this power that I felt and, uh, and, and without even really recognizing what was going on, I was kind of attracted uh, to this vibe that he was putting off of this amazing positivity. And the weirdest part about that is that Adam is a triple amputee. So Adam uh, grew up, uh, you know, I don't know where he grew up. We're going to find all that stuff out. But Adam's 31 years old. Uh, He was a U.S. Army sergeant, um, and he returned from his tour in Afghanistan a little over five years ago um, after a roadside blast that had rocked the armored vehicle that he was riding in with four others, um, including his childhood friend, Jesse Reed. Uh, Keyes was the only one to survive. 
Um, though at the time he was uh, barely surviving, he lost both legs and his left hand in the aftermath. Um, he spent months in a coma and he endured more than 130 surgeries. Okay. So Adam is one of those guys um, that you just kind of, you just are drawn to. You know, uh, his, the positivity that he has is just unmatched. I mean, I really just can't even believe what it's like, you know, I mean, to 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 go out and you're doing something for your country, which I know there's a twist behind that part of it, which we're going to talk about. But to do something for your country like that, and my respect for the military, um, for for armed services, armed forces, for any of that, you all know my love for that. But to meet a gentleman like this who's power. And whose determination was just unmatched. Um, so uh, I'm super stoked to talk to Adam today. And one of the reasons why I'm super stoked to talk to him today is because Adam is doing something uh, that I I don't even know if I could do. And I've got and I've got all of my appendages. I've got my arms and my legs. Adam uh, ha, again is a triple amputee with with missing two legs and one hand. Um, and he's about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So. Uh, I want everybody to do me a favor. You guys know the routine. Uh, sit back, get your headphones in. Uh, if you're in the car, tell the keys, the kids to get the hell out of the car because I'm probably going to fucking curse at some point during this. Uh, I may cry. I don't know. Who knows? This is It's live, man. We just talk and we just go. So everybody do me a favor and get ready to have a full-blown conversation with my buddy, Adam Keys. Mr. Keys, what's going on, brother? Hey, how you doing, Chad? Pretty awesome, man. How are you today? Hanging in there. Good, dude. Hey, so before we uh, get into all the, uh, the 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 knit and grit over here, uh, why don't you do me a favor and tell me who you are and how we can follow you? Because uh, we got a whole bunch of people that are going to be listening to this. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, well, my name is uh, Staff Sergeant Retired Adam Keys from the United States Army. And uh, you can follow me on social media. Uh, Facebook will be the best one. Is Adam Keys One Step Forward. I'm also on uh, Instagram, uh, AKs30, and Instagram, or sorry, Twitter at AKs30, and Instagram at In The Breeze 16. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, and everybody, just so you know, you guys can go to the website and pull all that stuff up and find all those awesome links. Um, so, Adam. Uh, first things first, I, I, I want to get this out there because I know that you're about to do something that's pretty awesome and you're actually doing it for a couple of charities. So can you tell us what you're about to do and the charities that you're doing it for? Sure. Um, so I'm raising money for it. A lot of people have helped me in the last eight years of my life since I was injured um, in Afghanistan. There's, I just want to sort of pay it forward and give it back to them, to the people that are getting injured now and the people that don't even know they're going to need this help, um, but they will eventually. So my, uh, my goal is, and I'm training hard for it, is to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in about a month from now. And I've, I've been training for months, so I think I'm ready for it. I'm doing it on my shorty legs, which are prosthetic legs, because I, I lost both my legs above knee in Afghanistan eight years ago, as well as I lost, lost my uh, left hand as well. So I'm going to try to uh, climb the top of this mountain. I'm, I'm confident that I'll get to the top of it. And all the pro proceeds that are going to be raised, all the, all the funds raised, are going to go to three charities that I hold dear to my heart. One being the Semper Fi Fund, um, the second being Achilles International, specifically the Freedom Team that gives us a way to uh, feel for me to hand cycle in mainstream uh, marathons and things like that. And also a local group to me and, and local to the hospital here at Walter Reed is uh, Warrior Vets. 
and all have played a pivotal role. I mean, there's there's so many more fun or so many charities I could do this for. I love them all, but these three are in my in my life, you know, right now, and seem will be forever. So I decided to uh, donate towards them, and um, you know, get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. That's 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 crazy. Um, I, before you came on, I was talking about the first time that I'd met you, which was down in, in Annapolis at, yeah. uh, um, at Jen, uh, Jen and Eddie's event for cystic fibrosis. Yes. And, uh, and I was saying that there's, you, you have, you have like a force around you, dude. It's pretty awesome. There's this unbelievable force of positivity that surrounds you. And I know, you know, you, you, why don't, why don't you tell us the story? I mean, tell us first off, where are you from? Where'd you so grow up? Sure, absolutely. Originally, I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, actually. Okay. And I and I lived there till I was 13. And when my family moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania, or just outside of Allentown in Whitehall, Pennsylvania. I didn't know you were from. You lived in Allentown. Yeah, yeah. We have a connection there. You're up in Philadelphia. We got our PA, man. What, what, yeah, that's right. The, we used to be called the Keystone State. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I lived there. I moved there when I was 13. Went through my high school and years after high school there till I was 24. Um, I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened, and um, you know, I always knew that I wanted to join the military, but that sort of gave me a lot of motivation to do so. But of course, right after 9-11, there was um, sort of a hold on all green cards and stuff like that. So we were we were permanent residents in the States, but we weren't green card holders, which means we couldn't hold, we couldn't get a job um, in the military. So that took a little bit longer to do that everything had to be vetted. Of course, that's, uh, that's reasonable. Sure. And uh, once that all came through, I was 24. Uh, working various jobs, and I, you know, I just said, "All right, uh, you know, now's the time." So, uh, a friend of mine and, and I actually joined uh, the military the same year, but months apart, and uh, we ended up being in the in the same unit and deployed together. And it was just un- unreal what sort of happened to the two of us, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So great. So this was your buddy from from Allentown. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. So, so you you guys get deployed. So you guys you went through basic training separately. So he, he hopped in a couple months before you, and then you had joined. Yes, he had left, I believe, I want to say like May of 2008, and I was in September. So I, had to, I had to finish up some uh, some jobs and stuff in town, so I was okay. I, I had a delayed entry. Okay. Went in September so, of 08, and then, uh, yeah, did all my training, went to airborne school, ended up at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and he had already been there, and it was just, you know, sort of meant to be. So I always I always ask this question because I, I don't know if you know I do a tremendous amount with the military so I, I'm I'm involved with a group called the Mess Lords and and we do our own little little kind of version of of going out there and and trying to meet the troops and chat with everybody and everything we actually cook for these guys all over the world um, so you know I've been in Africa I've been in the Middle East I've done a whole bunch of really cool stuff like that and it, it there's nothing that compares to what you guys it's really awesome for us to be able to to hop in and do that but but one of the questions that I ask people all the time is so. Why, what, why did you choose the army as opposed to the, 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 the four other soon to be five now that we're interstellar, but, but why, why did you choose the army as opposed to Marines, Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, any of that stuff? Sure. Um, so I actually did shop around in the beginning. Um, originally I sort of thought I wanted to be, uh, an aviator either in the Air Force or in the Navy. Um, but when I went to talk to them and I was, I was, too tall, you know, they could be a little bit picky back then because a lot of people were trying to join up with big bonuses. And I was 6'3", and they just said with my boots on everything, I'm, I'm too tall. So I kept shopping around and, um, you know, I always had to think for the airborne units in the army. And, uh, and you could do that in the Marine Corps as well, but it's a little bit harder to do. So after talking to a lot of uh, different groups, um, you know, all the branches, of course, um, yeah. I went to the army and I, I went with them because I could get 
airborne in my contract. So right after I was done my basic and AIT training, I could go right to airborne school right away. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, I, I mean, first off, I, ne- I never knew that there was such a thing as too tall for, for <laughs> military. I, I really, I didn't. I mean, I had no idea. But I, I guess think it makes it's sense. because of the, the size of the planes, I think. I, I right. Mean, they could have just been blowing smoke. I mean, who knows, you know? <laughs> they, they, maybe they'll take me now. I'm much shorter these days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you, you gave me shit last time. Now I got you covered. Um, that's pretty awesome. So, so you, so you, you finished basic training and then how soon after that were you deployed? Cause I mean at that, and this is, I'm actually going to make a statement here, but at that point, I mean, we were full blown, man. Uh-huh. You know I mean? We were full blown in war. I mean, there was, you know, it's not that there was a break. I mean, we were full blown going at it at that point. So you're joining, you're knowing that you're really, I mean, especially in the army, you're going to combat at that point. Right. You know, yep. You're going to the front. So, so how soon after basic training and, and graduation and moving forward, were you then deployed? So after training, I got to Fort Bragg in May of 09 and we left in December 09. So what's wow. that? Seven months or something like that? Eight months. Yeah. So now did you, did you know that you were heading to Afghanistan immediately or was that something that you didn't find out until December? Uh, we found that out in November, so about a month and a half before we left. Okay. We knew pretty much just from the rumors because Iraq was still going on, of course, and all through doing my training, everything. Most of my drill sergeants, everything came from Iraq, and they had been there multiple times. And if you remember, they had sort of had the surge at that time, so all the extra troops were there, and they did a great job of of uh, completing their mission there. So that's essentially what was the rumor within the military that this is what's going to happen again, but just in Afghanistan this time. We're going to mimic the same surge. Well, that's okay. what happened in 2010. There was an extra 30,000 troops sent. I was right. one of those 30,000. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you know, and these are, these are, there's going to be some questions here that, that I know a lot of people want to ask. I mean, what is it like being in another country that is a known terrorist area and you are there to protect and, and really to kind of, I mean, to do a job? I mean, what's it like walking down the street? knowing that there's somebody who wants to kill you just because of a flag that you have on your shoulder. Right. And I mean, it's in our case, it's the American flag, but there's so many other NATO countries there as well that are doing the same thing uh, for the same purpose. And it was, um, I got to tell you, it was, uh, it was a different kind of feeling, but mostly when, when we landed there, uh, I'm, I'm with my company, of course, with about a hundred uh, troops. And as we landed, in our case, it was Kandahar Airfield where we landed. We stayed in RC South and uh, it was immense sense of pride and we were all cheering like we we know we've trained so hard for this we've worked very hard you know in all our training we were ready to sort of use our training and uh once we got there and started you know having our feet beat the beat the ground out there and uh meet these people meet the locals um most of them are just grateful for us to be there which was which was awesome to to hear and to feel but we also know like you just said that there's people that are hidden among those people or hidden in the mountains or wherever they may be that, that want the opposite of us. They, they want to kill us or, or maim us. And, uh, you know, so we're on, we're on guard all the time. It's, it's hard to essentially take a break. The only time you had, you could, you could sleep any time. The time you're going to sleep is when you're tired, which is always because we're always on mission. Right. So, um, it's, uh, it takes a lot out of you, but it, I think it gives you a lot too. And it gives, it gave me a lot too, but it ended up turning out to be for my recovery. So, um, I think it helps on that, that front too. Right. So, I mean, while you're over there, even though it's December, January, how, what was your deployment while you were there? How long? 12 months. 12 months. So, I mean, you're over there. I mean, this is one of the questions that I pretty much ask everybody. The fuck do you handle that with that heat and, and all your gear and everything on top of you? I mean, I, I know you have to, and this yeah. is all going to lead into what happens moving forward. 
but but I mean seriously, dude, like it's, it's fucking hot. It is, and it's it's really hot, and it's uh, it does get tough. Um, but I, I think it sort of goes back to all the training. Like some of the guys during training would take slack or, or drop their packs, or sometimes they'd load their rucksacks with pillows just so it looks like it's full because they didn't want to train that <laughs> that day, you know. Right. But I was never one of those guys. You know, I, I'm certainly not bragging, but I always wanted to train heavier than what I'm going to have to do, and so hopefully that's going to make it easier. When it comes to the heat, I mean, that's uh, that's just something you really got to suck it up and just drink a ton of water because with all the gear you're, wear, you're wearing and stuff you're carrying, it's just so much extra weight, and it's always hot. Um, you know, I think it only rained twice, maybe three times when I was there, so it was never there was never a break. Right. And you just had to, that was one of the things you have to sort of embrace the suck. Well, I know that there's a lot, I mean, there's been, there've been a lot of changes made within, uh, uniforms and fabrics and, and all of that. You know, I mean, I was, I was just in, in Djibouti a couple months ago and it was, you know, I mean, it was 118 degrees, you know, and there's, and a lot of the uniforms that these guys and, and, and girls are wearing, um, you know, have a lot of, have mesh involved in them and, and all that stuff. But, but those are all pretty new they're pretty new to the uniform in the last bunch of years. Not so much when you were. Right. Uh, so when I was there, we had, we didn't have the plate carriers that they have now, which is just a, a smaller version of a, a flak jacket for lack of better words. Right. The, IO, the IOTVs, which are individual outer tactical vests, And they had stuff around your neck and it's, they're very, very heavy, very bulky and not the best thing. And it was also still during the time we had regular ACUs, which now they have the multicams, which are much more, camouflage in Afghanistan where I, I sort of felt the ACU uniform really wasn't good where we were. <laughs> so well, now what's, what's the ACU? It's the, uh, the digital, um, the digital uniform with you mostly see the most of the guys have, it's like a light, light right. green, light tan, maybe look a little bit, a little bluish almost. Yeah. Um, I think it works great if you're like fighting a war in a quarry or something, but in the mountains of Afghanistan, it really wasn't good. So I was very happy to see that they started bringing the, the multi-cam uniforms in as I was there, uh, yeah. that all did arrive there. But after I was, uh, of course, medevaced out. Sure, sure. So how far, how long uh, were you in? And then, and then, I mean, let's, you know, if you don't mind, let's talk about, talk about the day. Sure, um, sure. So I was there, it was supposed to be the entire year of 2010. <clears throat> My tour was cut short at about seven months, a little after that, uh, in July of 2010, specifically July 14, 2010. And um, that's the day I was injured, but... Before I sort of get into that, and I certainly will, I just want to mention that, you know, we lost five guys from my company um, yeah. over there. Three weeks before I was injured, there was a, a gentleman named Specialist Andrews, and we lost him on 21 June 2010. And so that right there just gives you a lot of motivation, and it raises the stakes right there of how what's really going on. Even though you already know people are dying, but when you start seeing these things, it's a whole different ballgame. Sure. And uh you know, so we still have a lot, a lot of missions to do. We still have, I think, about six more months in country after that happened. And things were, during the summertime, you know, it's not just a, it's not just a saying when they say it's the fighting season. I mean, it's full force. I mean, there's IEDs, there's gunfire all the time, every day, right? So it's it's crazy. Right. But uh, on July 14, 2010, um, we were on a mission, and we got held up um, at a place where we didn't normally stay, but we'd been there a couple of times. And, uh, the, you know, the night before, on the 13th, we, uh, we got attacked at nighttime. They tried to, you know, do their thing. They tried to get us and, and take over and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't happen, you know, which is, which is a great thing. We did lose a truck. So the next day, uh, we had to leave and leave that truck there. So we had to leave one truck less. And 
that meant, meant uh, four or five guys would have to stay and just they'd have to hop uh, a chopper back because we couldn't fit everybody in. If something right. else did happen on this mission. So, you know, we had a lot of intel and we knew which uh, villages we were going to be uh, sort of coming up to and, and targeting that day. I was on the ground team that day. And um, so I was in the lead gun truck. And we had stopped at uh, what we thought was a, a great spot and safe spot to uh, talk on the radio for a second before we sort of hopped out. And uh, myself and three other guys would go through this uh, village. <clears throat> we're on, we, were, we were sitting there for five or six minutes talking on the radio, sort of reinforcing our plan that we had. And uh, unfortunately, as soon as I opened the door, I didn't even have to hit the ground. Uh, the ID went off. We, we didn't know, but we were already sitting on top of it. Wow. Um, it, was a, it was a command detonation. So that, that just means somebody else is watching us and, and they pull the trigger when they want to. Right. So um, normally it would, they would break that, you know, if the convoys, let's say six or seven trucks long, they try to break the one in the middle to sort of split us in half. Right. But in this case, they probably just said, you know, that they thought that they were made when I opened the door, even though we had no idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he detonated the ID. And um, unfortunately, this this is the hard part of the story. But um, the other four guys in the truck did not make it. So I I'd just like to quickly say their names. Um, yeah. You know, because that's very important to me. But we lost uh, Chase Stanley from California that day. Zach Fisher from Missouri that day. Matthew Johnson from Minnesota that day. And we alluded to before, uh, my best friend Jesse Reed from Allentown uh, was in that truck, and we lost him that day as well. Wow. Yeah. So those guys, those those five guys and four from that day in particular are my heroes. And uh, they give me a lot of drive uh, to keep moving forward because even though I lost my legs and my left hand here, I know I'm, I'm very, very lucky to be here in the first place. And it was a lot of hard work to get me where I'm at today. Right. You know, that's what, sort of why I'm trying to pay it forward. You know, Dude, it's all, I mean, hey. Uh, the, the motivation behind it's just, it, I mean, I can't even imagine. So, so that, that, that brings it to a whole nother level. You know, I mean, I, I like, I like what you're saying about the fact that, you know, that's, that's what you're, you're driving force at that point, uh -huh. you know, to continue to do that stuff. So cheers to you. And, 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 you know, thank you to those guys for, for what they did, the sacrifice they made and to their families as well, you know, so it's, uh, and I know that's always in your head every time that you're doing something. So cheers to you and cheers to them, man. Um, so, so now, I mean, I mean, so after this, I mean, you're, you know, I mean, you're, what, what's happening? What is the, what's the next step in this point? I mean, you're, you're medevaced out. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I don't know how far into what you want to go. I mean, you're, you're on the ground. You, you've, you've just lost your legs and, and your hand. And, you know, I mean, there's fighting now going on around you or there's mass confusion. Um, there was a little bit of fighting. In, you know, I, so I was, it, the, the blast was so big and it, you know, it was just, so it, even though my guys tell me I was sort of with it and talking to them, I don't remember right. any of that. Sure. And, um, I, my legs were actually still attached and that's just by the grace of God, because I was still in the truck. So I still had that coverage. Right. So my legs were still there, but hanging like a spaghetti almost. Right. And I guess I, I was told I tried to get up off the, off the uh, litter and go help. And, uh, I immediately fell back down and I had a lot of open wounds and stuff. So, right. you know, my guys had to bands me up, call for help. And sometime during all this confusion, like you were saying, sometime along there, either something in the dirt or whatever got into my wounds that caused a, ma a major infection. And ultimately, I mean, my legs were already gone anyway, but that's definitely right. the reason why I lost my left hand. Sure. That's almost right, you know? So it was, uh, it was touch and go for a long, long time. You know, I, I, was in the, I was in the hospital for just over five years, inpatient and outpatient, but- it was Well, I think I've read 130 surgeries. Yeah, a little over 130. Yeah, that goes from very, very serious to you know to minor like dental stuff, but it's all right. in there. 
That's amazing. Yeah. So now, uh, so you you come back. So you're 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 medevaced out. You're you're now back into where do you go immediately after? So after you're in Afghanistan, and you are then medevaced. Where are you brought to from that point? I mean, is there a you know they're not flying you immediately to Walter Reed. They're not. I mean, where did you go directly after Afghanistan? So right after injury, when the nine line uh, Blackhawk comes in to pick you up, you go to the the closest uh, FST that you can, which was happened to be where we stayed at our FOB, which was the Navy uh, FST, and uh, they sort of stabilize you there. Then they get you as fast as they can to, in my case, Kandahar Airfield, which is a Royal Three Hospital. Right. Um, do as much as they can there. Then they get you up to Bagram, which is a, even a bigger hospital. Once you're fully stabilized there, and you gotta. You know, got to remember this is 2010, so there's a, there's a lot of injuries and there's a lot of medevacs coming in and out. Oh, so God, yeah. sort of have to wait in line to uh, to get the next stop is Longstool, Germany. And uh, the story is, if you can get to Germany, you got a 99% chance of, of making it home. Wow, so that's a good that's a good sign. And I did make it there. Of course, I was unconscious this entire time, but um, I did get there. And I think it was, if I read if I read this right, it was seven eight days I was waiting in Germany. Where my mom and dad were calling all day, every day, trying to make sure, like, did they have to come or was it going to make it type thing? Right. They assured me or assured them that that was going to make it. And I think it was eight days later they uh, had me uh, flown to Walter Reed and then numerous hospitals throughout the country. And ultimately, Walter Reed was my home uh, for the majority of the time. Wow. Yeah. There's, uh, 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 I mean, we always hear stories about a lot of stuff that happens within VA and, and Walter Reed and stuff like that. I mean, how, how was that? experience for you i mean being um, amongst all of that i mean i can't imagine being in a hospital where there's so much i mean there, there, there's at this point people's lives have been completely altered yeah yeah and well i gotta say i mean to say it easy would be it, it was a scene that i've never seen before i mean it was in 2010 all the way through 2013 it was just a revolving door at wall three you know i mean it's just oh where were you or what company were you with and this kind of, and it's like a lot of time you were in that, you were in that exact same spot a year ago or two years ago. Yeah. And it's just like, it takes a lot out of you to see that of course, but you know, we're all, uh, we're all tough young men and women. And, uh, we, we jump around a lot to each other and we know the end goal is that we, we can get past this and we, we can do, we can do better, but we just have to find out the way to do it now. So, and that takes a lot of help. So, I mean, what, I mean, what is your, what is your driving force at this point? I mean, is your driving force to live? Is your driving force to to make the memory of the other guys that are with you something at your forefront? I mean, how how is that? Because I mean, your your life has completely changed. And, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I I'll tell you right now. I just met a woman last weekend who her son who has just graduated from high school, the kid's 18 years old, uh, all of a sudden had a blood clot, and like two days later, he, he his leg was removed. You know, and now, so this kid is, you know, he's doing, he's, he's laying around the house playing Xbox and putting weight on and having no drive. And I, and I tried to talk, I actually said to his mother, I would love for him to talk to Adam. So, which is why we, we really reconnected because you were brought back into my mind again this week because of the drive and determination that you've had and just what I've watched and what I've followed over the last five years. I mean, what, what is your drive and determination at that point? Well, I would say you touch on two of them right away. I mean, I, I love being alive and I, and I want to continue to live. That's for sure. Right. I love to talk about my friends who didn't make it home. And, and those are five of, of thousands. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So those are 
my driving forces. But I also want to show to people, you don't have to be in the military to, to overcome something like this. You just have to have the right mindset to do it. You know, I, I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro on my shorty legs, right? So when I stand on those, I'm, I'm 4'11", when I'm formally 6'3". Right. Um, to a lot, a lot of people, they don't even want to do that because it's like, I was so tall before, now I'm so short, or I'm, or I'm mostly in the wheelchair. I'm not even a full-time user, so I'm in the wheelchair a lot. Um, I didn't want to let any of that hold me back or people's thoughts about me or, or my appearance or anything like that because I know how lucky I am. The best way for me to con- convey that to other people is show them that um, nothing's impossible here. You can do it. And even if you do fail along the way, that's supposed to happen because it gives you more drive for the next thing you're going to do. Right. You know, when I, when I started with Achilles um, in 2015, uh, was Boston Marathon was my first uh, hand cycle race. And the only reason I did that is because some there was two um, individuals that were injured in the Boston Marathon, Patrick and Jess, uh, husband and wife, who lost two legs and one leg in the Boston Marathon. They ended up coming to Walter Reed, and we became friends. And Boston, um, sorry, Patrick had asked me, he's like, will you do the Boston Marathon on hand cycle with me? And I had just started hand cycling maybe two months before that. I wasn't ready for it at all because he had asked. I said, all right, let's, let's make it a challenge. We did it. And I've been, I'm in through, I think, 10, 11 marathons now throughout the country. Um, So you just need a spark. And and sometimes it's somebody that you see doing it. Sometimes it's, you know, I reached out to people and said, how'd you do this? Or how'd you do that? Or what was your, what was your driving force? What made you be able to do this? And I I think I'm blessed to know the people that I know through my injuries um, and the people that came through for me that I had no idea who they were in the first place. So I I don't necessarily think that, that I owe them something. I don't think that they you know, that they're asking me to do anything for them, that it's, it's within me that I want to do something for them because they did something for me and I know they're going to do it for, for others now, even currently at the hospital. So yeah, doing the best I can. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, it's a huge support system as well. You know I mean? That, that works with you and, and works within that, within, you know, I mean, those situations. I mean, that, that's what I've seen from, from, from meeting, meeting guys who have been in similar situations like you. And, and I'll be honest, your, your, your drive and your determination is, is impressive, man. I mean, it is full-blown impressive. I mean, I remember the first time that I met you and you were so open and so honest about everything. And even today, you're super open and honest about it. Um, what, what, was, what brought you to the point to say, you know what? I'm doing Kilimanjaro. <laughs> so you, you will know this guy. Um, it's when I met you at the Cystic Fibrosis uh, fundraiser, the father to Jen is Bob Saunders. He's a retired uh, Marine Corps guy from, from Vietnam. I'm sure Holy you know the story. Holy shit, that dude. Holy yeah. shit, that dude. He's, he's amazing. He's, he's, he's am- one of – go ahead, yeah. go ahead. You go. Well, you're, you're right. He, he's an amazing guy. And uh, he set out to do that climb. And, and he's, you know, he's from the Vietnam area. He's a little bit older than I. Yeah. And his goal was to raise money for cystic fibrosis, but also to – feel how it feels for his daughter to breathe every day. Cause that's how it sort of feels when you're at the top of a mountain like that, the elevation. Yeah. So that was his driving force for that uh, mission. I saw the video for that and you know, I had just gotten my new prosthetics and they, they fit so well. And I just felt like I could almost run and do marathons in them. Saw this video and I said, you know, I think, I think I could do that too. It's going to take a little while, but I think so. And, you know, as time went on, we were talking about it. I got to meet his, uh, his guide. And then uh, it sort of went from there and, you know, once I sort of committed um, and started putting everything on paper, I didn't uh, sort of announce it until about last week when we started talking to you again. And that's why you sort of saw, um, saw the videos. But because yeah. um, it's, it's a big thing. I, I didn't want to put much too much pressure on me right away because I wanted to see 
that I could even do it first. So I started doing a lot of hikes around here and working with a personal trainer and all that kind of stuff. But after a while, even they all agreed, like, Adam, you're going to do it. And mostly because my mental state is just like, I'm getting to the top of that mountain one way or another. If I have to crawl up there, Brian, I- I'm getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, I know. So, so you have, you have three. So, well, let me do this. Hold on for a sec. Let me go back a little bit. How did you and Bob get in? How did you two connect? Sure. So Bob and another gentleman, uh, John O'Leary, both live here in Annapolis. Uh, they're both from the Marine Corps, uh, from different eras. And they met at uh, Marine Corps league, I, I believe. And, uh, you know, they had saw, I think this is like 2009, I want to say, um, that they had saw a lot of people were coming to Walt Reed and, and they sort of wanted to do something. So they, uh, they talked to the people they know and eventually started a group called Warrior Events and uh, just started going to the hospital and visiting these guys and saying, you know, we're behind you, this, that, and the other. And uh, they would do a lot for guys like me, but also to include the families too, because they know, like for, for my family, it was my mom was there. She left her job and she was there the vast majority of the time in the, in the last five years. And they're like, man, you know, we got to get her out too. So sometimes it's as simple as like taking you out to the movies or a baseball game. You know, they did right. a big Army-Navy game that, every year I take the buses from all three up there, which is a great thing. And we just sort of sparked a friendship. And, uh, you know, I stayed in the area after I retired in July of 15 and they live not far from here. So I work with them often and, uh, and it's all for the help of the new wounded warriors coming in and the, you know, that I know, and they know that we got to get them out of the hospital and get them, you know, just back out in society and and show you that life is not over. And, And in some cases it may just be starting. So why now we've got, so we've got warrior events, which I'm a huge fan of. And, and I know Bob and I have tried to do stuff in the past and there was stuff with WWE and the UFC and all that stuff that we had, we had tried to connect on And Bob's determination and drive behind warrior events is pretty awesome. Now, now what, what is, so what, I mean, here's an odd question. Army guy getting involved in the Semper Fi fund. What is that? <laughs> now I get that question a lot and I, I, can, under, <laughs> I can understand why. Um, now, of course, we all bicker between between branches, but ultimately we, we are on the same team. Uh, the Semper Five Fund started long before I even joined the military. I, I want to believe it was 0405. I'm a, a Marine Corps mom and Marine Corps wife as well. So her husband and her, at least one of her sons, um, was in the service. I have, I have never met her, but um, I would see the Semper Five Fund ladies walking around the hospital and, uh, you know, trying to help everybody. But at the time, they were just doing the Marines and the Navy because of Semper Five Fund, obviously. So um, they wanted to help the Army and the Air Force and the Coast Guard, but they didn't have the funding at, at that time. So when I, did, I was injured in 2010, um, I believe it was late 11 or early 2012, when they finally got the funds and um, you know everything they had to do legally to get in place so they could help us as well. So I've been involved with them essentially since 2010, but they've been helping me since 2012. Okay. And then, and then Achilles Fund. Achilles, I, I met them. They come down to... Walter Reed a lot to try to, um, you know, show you different ways that you can hand cycle. And if you want to, you can, you can run these marathons. These are mainstream, mainstream marathons, you know, so you can run them on process. You can do them on hand cycles. You can do it in the push rim. If you're blind, they can do, they can give you a guide to get you through this, but you have to want to do it. So I met um, a lady named Janet and um, the founder who is uh, Richard Trom and his son, Joe Trom. Richard lost his leg. I think it's the 80s. I hope I'm getting that right. I know it's years and years ago. And he was already a marathoner. He wanted to get back in it. So he was actually the first guy with a prosthetic leg to run a mainstream marathon. And uh, he so he started this year before I was even born. You know what I mean? And he saw, they I should say they saw 
um, Walter Reed as, you know, we, we're all in shape. We always want to stay in shape. And they said, you know, we can give you a way to do that. So they gave us the, the avenue to get into these mainstream medias. And like I said, now I've done, I, I believe, 10 or 11 of them now um, across the country. And, it, you know, just be able to have that drive and something to work forward or, or towards gives me something to do and to train for and to show others again that, you know, even though I'm doing it a different way than, than you may, I, I'm still doing it. And it's, right. trust me, it's, it's still tough. <laughs> yeah. So now with, with some of the technology and everything that's moving forward, I mean, what uh, with, I mean, look, we went from, you know, years ago, the idea of prosthetics. I mean, the most, the most anybody knew about a prosthetic or anything like that in reality was the movie Fugitive yeah. where, you know, and I know that sounds On like our man. a weird way, but if you think about it, I mean, that was the first kind of play into what a prosthetic was and, and what most people really the mainstream knew about it. And the, and the developments that have happened, I mean, seriously, even since 2010, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I interviewed a woman a couple of weeks ago who was uh, Miss Iowa. She was a, a, a wonderful girl who, who was actually born with with uh, with one arm, um, her left arm. She was not born with a hand, you know, just under the elbow is kind of where everything kind of stopped. And she's major, major, major into bionics at this point. Right and. Uh, and she, I mean, she was, she was an awesome interview. We had a great conversation. We talked about the bionics and, and about prosthetics and what it was like for her with the prosthetics from the time that she was growing up and to the, the developments that have happened and the technology that's happened at this point. So for you, you said you're doing your, your, your climb on, on the short legs. What is the decision for that? I mean, is it, why make that decision? Well, essentially, so we, the guys that are above knees, um, we start on, on the shorty legs anyway, just because you want to work on your balance and your core muscles okay. and um, things like that. And you have to learn how to get up off the floor and all those sort of things. But uh, once I put this particular set on, which was this past uh, September, you know, they fit, they just fit so well. And I, I and I can, you know, I've, I've been doing these, uh, these shorty legs now for, I guess, nine months, 10 months now or something like that. And I easily could go up back to the tall legs right now. But right. climbing that mountain specifically to add that extra weight to my residual limbs, and to, to add any kind of complications. I, I, I thought and the people that I've talked to, the shorty would be the best option. Um, right. I have a great team behind me and I have to bring a lot of stuff because if something does go wrong, you know, I, I can't just call Walter Reed at this point in time, you know? So I have a lot of stuff uh, to back me up and I have ways to uh, do it. Or I've, my, my training buddy and my Tyler and my, my friend Tyler who's climbing with me knows how to fix these things. I just have the, all the equipment to do it if I couldn't do it. Right. We're sort of doing this as, as a team. And, you know, that's just, that's another way to show you that, you know, sometimes you have to lean on other people and, and I'm okay with that because I, I want them to lean on me too when I can help them. So it's, um, it's just a great team. That's awesome, man. So now for you guys, I mean, it's a five day, they say that the basics is about five days to get up to the top. So what is the process that you have at this point that's going that's going through? I mean, can you of, of what you know about it since you're doing all the training, you don't just say, hey, I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm in great shape. I'll see you guys Thursday. <laughs> exactly. No, you don't. <laughs> um, so my process is I, I've talked to uh, Bob's guy. His name's Oler Beef. He's, he's a great guy. Speaks great English. I talked to him what he what he does. And, you know, he's been a guy for a long time. So he, he's climbed it just over 100 times this year. Uh, or total, but he just crossed the hundred year or the hundred time uh, this year. And uh, so I talked to him. I talked to my personal trainer that comes to my house twice a week, or I meet him out on a on a trail somewhere. But we work twice a week together. I still hand cycle twice a week for my cardio. I also 
not every day, but most days I have my uh, my training mask on, which is an ele- elevation mask, so that helps you to uh, get used to how it's going to breathe at, at that altitude. It's just a little over nineteen thousand feet, you know, so it's it's up there. Sure. They do bring they bring oxygen just in case something goes terribly wrong, but you shouldn't need it. And also, it's just you had to learn how to really to pace yourself because you want to get to the top, but you know they say on average it's it's four days up, and you know and then a couple of days down or whatever. It's probably going to take me more like six days up and a couple of days down, but that's actually worked in my favor because you get acclimated a little bit a little bit better the slower you go to the right. elevation. So I've just been writing all this stuff down and, and trying to remind myself that even the days that it, it is slow for my training, I know that that ultimately as long as I get whatever I set up to do that day is ultimately how I'm going to get to the top of this mountain at the end, at the end of the day. Right. So now for you going up, I, I mean, they say that there's, there's a bunch of different routes and all that stuff. Are there, you know, is there a route that is better designed for something that, like with you with having the shorty legs or uh, what, it, what it, how far into that have you gotten? Um, so I've researched all, I believe it's 11 uh, past that way that are at least approved trails. Right. And um, my guide and I have come up with a plan. We're going to use the, it's called Route Round Guy, R-O-N-G-A-I. Okay. And uh, it's one of the, they say that one of the easier ones. Um, but that just means for portions of it, there'll be, less rocks to traverse or, you know, bigger things like that. But there's right. also going to be parts, no matter which route I take, that are going to be unpassable for me. So I'm going to have this sort of mountain wheelchair there with us, with, um, with the porters up there. Right. And uh, they have to get, to get me through that. I'm going to have to sit in that, you know, that's unfortunate, I think, but to be safe, I just sort of have to do it. And, and to be truthful, I mean, these guys, this is their, this is their livelihood. So I, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. They're gonna, they want me to get to the top as well, but, they're going to do it as safe as they possibly can. Exactly. They're all licensed and everything. So they want to keep their licenses, of course. <laughs> sure. And, uh, it's like so a pilot. I'm going to listen to them and uh, we're going to get up there. That's awesome, dude. So what, what's your training like at this point? I mean, so, uh, I mean, you're doing your mask at home and, and you're doing your cycling stuff and you have your trainer who's coming in. I mean, when it comes to the actual climbing portion of it, what are you doing with within that realm? Well, when, when I get there, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that I'm going to feel it the same way I felt when I went to Afghanistan and just have a lot of motivation internally. And I'm going to be able to see this mountain and be like, okay, now I'm here. Now we got to do it. But to be, uh, to keep myself, I guess, on par with my goals here. I mean, I have to, I have to eat well, which I've been doing all year. I, I have to drink a lot more water than I averagely would. Um, I just, it's a little bit harder to maybe to explain, but I have to be very, very disciplined on my own end because no one's going to force me to eat or drink. Right. So, Sure. That that comes on me. It's it's always good to have the personal trainer here because there may be a morning Tuesday morning. I, I didn't want to get up necessarily, but I'm scheduled. We're, we're doing this, so it gives me a little bit more push to do that as well. So it's hard to stay focused sometimes. I have a lot of things going on in, in my life, um, but there's time to squeeze it in and other things that I do as well. So you just have to find the the time. So I mean, and I'll, I'll ask I'll ask kind of a, a weird question here, but this shit's expensive, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this stuff's expensive. I mean, prosthetics and, and all the equipment that comes along with it and, you know, bikes and, and, and all of that stuff. I mean, are, do you work? I mean, what is your, I mean, what's your, what's your day-to-day job? So I don't have a traditional nine to five and, uh, you know, I'm happy about that, but people won't even believe it, but I, I do work a lot. I'm on, I'm involved with some nonprofits. I'm on a board of warrior events. And I work with, I'm an ambassador to another group called the Travis Mills Foundation up in Maine. You may have heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm on, I'm an ambassador to him. So a lot of times I have to travel and speak on their behalf. I do this for other foundations as well. 
So I travel quite often. Um, that's really my, my, uh, my job, you could say right now. So I do a lot of that. I'm also involved with another group called ASAP, which is the Armed Services Arts Partnership. Okay. And um, I mean, if you could plug this, it would be great because this August 22nd on Wednesday at 7 o'clock, well, seven, the doors open at 7, but 7.30 to, uh, I believe, 9.30 will, will be my first uh, stand-up comedian uh, set. I got a five-minute set. Really? Coming. Yeah. Nice, so it's something dude. I've always wanted to do, and I've been working hard on that and going to class for them for every weekend for the last uh, six weeks, trying to, trying to master that craft. So I'm hoping to make people laugh uh, this coming Wednesday. Well, dude, I should uh, I should have a connection between you and my brothers. My brothers own a production company out in L.A. called Ugly Brother Studios. Okay. And my brother originally moved out to L.A. as a comedian. Right on. Uh, and then ended up being in the production world and creating TV shows and uh, and doing a lot of that stuff. So my brothers have actually created a lot of shows um, like, like uh, Goddamn Comedy Jam. Um, and all that stuff, which I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they bring comedians out and the comedians basically tell the story of what their favorite song was, how it came to. And then they actually play and sing that song. Uh, and then like, you know, the, like somebody from ACDC is coming out, you know, awesome. like it's really kind of a cool thing. But but they do a bunch of really cool stuff with comedy. So, um, you know, if you're in L.A. at all. Um, when you're going out there, make sure that you and I connect and I'll make do an introduction between you and my brothers because I think that there could be something kind of fun. You know, I mean, who knows? You, know, you never know, dude. I mean, that's where we're, I, I call I call what we do a lot of times that we're connectors. Um, you know, uh, whatever you need is usually three phone calls away. You to me, me to them and them to you. Right. Um, and that's the way that this world works. And I think that uh, unfortunately not enough of us are not enough people out there are like that to want to share those connections. But I think that, that I don't know, I, I have a really good feeling you're a connector guy. Call me crazy, but I think <laughs> you're a connector. So, um, so, so, and, and so what's your plan? I mean, what's, what's up after that? I mean, I, you know, you haven't even made the, the climb yet and I'm already trying to find out what's going on after that, but what's your plan after the climb? Um, well, in October, actually the, the following week when I get back, I'll be doing the Chicago marathon on my hand cycle. Jesus. So, so as long as I don't get hurt on the mountain, I'll, I'll be at the Chicago marathon this year. And then to finish out the year, uh, November 4th, I believe it is, I'll be doing the New York City Marathon, which will likely uh, be my last for a while. And um, again, with the climb too, I mean, I just sort of want to get with this next, uh, you know, three, four months, and then maybe take a little break throughout the holidays and, and you know, refresh myself a little bit because it is tiring. It is a lot of work. And um, we'll just have to see what happens next. But I'm hoping that the comedy thing stay stay with me hopefully people laugh at my jokes because that's that's the goal with that and uh, right. if i could do something in, in that realm or maybe in the in the acting world who knows I, i've been on a couple of casting calls already haven't got picked up yet but you know I'm, that's something to work at sure so now let me do this so when is the when's your comedy when's your uh your first stand-up it's august 22nd so next wednesday at the dc improv and the doors open at seven o'clock okay Perfect. And, and, uh, and like in regards to speaking engagements and stuff like that, that you do, are any of them public or are they all kind of private within their own groups? Um, a lot of them are private. There's been a couple that were, were public. Um, and I do a lot of schools now too, but because things are so hectic at the moment, I don't have anything on my schedule and the stuff I'm doing currently would just be local because I'm doing a lot of training. So I can't, I can't leave too much at the moment. 
Gotcha, dude. Awesome. Well, Adam, dude, I know you've got a lot of shit to do besides just sit around and chat with me all day. Um, so why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you let everybody again just know exactly kind of uh, how we can get in touch with you and the funds that you're you're working towards and, and any of that information that we can get from you? Sure. Um, so on Facebook, you can follow me at Adam Keys One Step Forward. On Twitter, it's at AKeys30. On Instagram, it's in the breeze 16 and if you want to check out, I mean, on all those sites, you'll be able to see my fundraising page. But if you want to go directly to it, it's fundraising.semperfifund.org. And it'll say Adam Keys climbs Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, you can read a little bit of my, my stories on there. Some pictures are on there. You can see me training and working with my personal trainer and stuff like that. And you'll see my goal is $30,000 um, to raise, which would be 10000 for each of these uh, nonprofits. But I hope we could, we could even top that. But I know it's an ambitious uh, goal. But I'm hoping that, you know, together we can sort of do this together and, and do it for the next group of warriors that are coming through because they may not know it yet, but they're, they're going to need some help. And uh, these foundations are going to be there to help them. That's awesome, man. Adam, thank you so much for your time, dude. I really appreciate it. And uh, I want to kind of stay in contact with you over the next couple months and see what's going on and see what I can do, um, if anything. All right, dude. That'd be great. I'll be I'll be on if you like. If you have me back on, I'll do it right after the uh, after the climb. Uh, absolutely. It's not even a question. Soon, yeah. and, and now, actually, I didn't even ask when that is. When When is the climb? Oh, sure. I leave September 18th and I'll be on the mountain starting uh, September 22nd. Oh, my God, dude. I didn't realize it was like, you know, in three, in four weeks. Yeah, it's, it's in a month. But I've been training for months. I just made this all public, you know, a week and a half ago. Right. I got you. And so I'm sorry, you'll be on the mountain what day? 22nd of September. 22. All right, brother. Uh, in my thoughts, in my prayers, I'm going to make sure that uh, whatever I can do, please do not hesitate. Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, loved meeting you a bunch of years ago. You have, without you even knowing, you've been uh, kind of a thought in my mind when it comes to some driving stuff, you know, when it comes to determination and whatnot for certain stuff that I know I have to get done. Um, and I would, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of a, a focal point for me uh, when I talk to other people about stuff. You know, I mean, it's just something that's really you've, you've got an amazing story and an amazing outlook on everything. And and uh, one, I think it's absolutely dynamic what you do. And then on the other side, I really will just want to say thank you for your service and and what you do moving forward for all other that don't know that they're going to need that service. And you put it kind of very straightforward with that. So um, so thanks, dude. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Thanks a lot. You got it, dude. Take care of yourself. And I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, man. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Brian. See you, brother. All right, everybody. So uh, guess what? Your, your, your leg hurt because you worked out yesterday. Uh, you're not feeling well because you ate something that uh, didn't quite agree with you. Um, your foot hurts because uh, you stubbed your toe. Uh, yeah, fuck that. I, we, we, it's mind over matter with what we do. And, I, and I, I kind of say to myself in a lot of cases with stuff... Like, I, I, it's a choice that I'm making at that point. You know, there's a choice that I have to make when I wake up. Do I want to stay in bed for another hour, you know, to, to look at Facebook? What are the things that I'm doing on a daily basis? We have one life to live. And do I want to live that life regretting that I didn't do something? Or do I want to live that life looking back and saying what an amazing experience that was? And I believe in experiences and I believe in drive and determination and going after what you want. I spend a lot of my time talking to my children about the fact that we are the deciding factor. Okay. We are the deciding factor. We need, we do need help. Look, 
when, when I tell my daughters that I want them to wake up in the morning to go take the dog for a walk and they want to sleep in, you know, that sucks, but let's rock and roll. Let's move forward. We've only got one life. We want to, you know, we've got to move forward. And, and I think Adam has that part kind of nailed down. Now he's got a tremendous drive behind him uh, to do things that is, is unlike anything that I think any of us were, will ever feel. I've never felt that I've had to do something because somebody else sacrificed something for me. Um, I've never wanted to prove something so badly because of something like that. Now, I have a drive because of my children. I want to be a good man. I want to be a good person. Uh, I want to I be able to provide. I want to be able to do the things that I'm supposed to do to show my children what it, what it is that a good person is or does or to be with or any of that. But I think that, that what the driving force behind some of the stuff that Adam's working on right now is, is absolutely amazing. Um, so I hope that you guys can take something away from this today. Uh, you know, we, we, we dove pretty hard into a couple of things and I'm really glad that we did. And Adam has always been very open and honest about that sort of stuff. And even prior to getting on, he said, Hey brother, look, if I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to tell you I'm uncomfortable. Uh, so that's pretty, so, uh, you know, I, I, I like that about him, but so I want you guys to do me a favor, go and check out the Semper Fi fund, take a look at Achilles fund and definitely check out the warrior events. Um, you know, Bob Saunders put the Warrior events together, uh, and and some of the stuff that he's done is is really up there. It's kind of kind of amazing to see uh, some of the things that he does for our Warriors. So, uh, so I, I hope you guys uh, took a lot out of this today because I know that I did. Um, I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me. Y'all are super important to me. Do me a favor and get over to iTunes and tell people to follow us. Do some, do some, do some reviews. Let us know what you think so that I can see whether or not I suck or not. Um, uh, I want you guys to uh, check out on uh, August 22nd. Go to Adam's page. Check it out. Go see some of his comedy. See what he's going to do. All right. September 18, uh, he leaves for Mount Kilimanjaro. He's going to be heading up there. He's going to be on the mountain on September 22nd. So keep that in your brains when you're laying in bed and you're tired. You don't feel like going to the gym or something to that effect. Uh, three people we got to thank. You all know who they are. Uh, actually, we're going to do four today. I want to thank Adam. Uh, for your service, for your dedication, for your drive and your inspiration that you give to other people on a daily basis. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see. And I really appreciate that. Um, you guys know everybody else. So I'm going to talk about Jerry and Jason down there at RadioInfluence.com. Amazing lineup of podcasts. It's unbelievable, and I am grateful and thankful that these guys allow me to do this with them because they have much better fucking things to do in their time than to sit here and listen to me babble on uh, about how wonderful I think they are. Uh, Maggie Gagliardi does every one of our illustrations. She's unbelievable. Uh, Michelle, oh, don't forget to follow Maggie at, at @magsart. M-A-G-Z-A-R-T and she is on Instagram and Twitter and then we've also got the wonderful Michelle out there Techno Solutions website and all the good stuff all the amazing sponsors that we have we appreciate it ladies and gentlemen I'm going to the fucking gym I'll see you later didn't get Duffified enough? follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show this has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Do you love college football? Of course you do. And there's no better place for your college football conversation than right here on Rush the Field. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and alongside my co-host, veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry, we're going to break down the college game from all different aspects. Whether it's breaking news, big-time matchups, or just arguing about the rankings. 
Chris and I will have it all covered. So join us on Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.